0: Well, once upon a time, I was standing on a lookout um, on the top of a cliff overlooking the ocean. And, um, you know, in the distance below, I'd see a few surfers getting some gnarly point breaks. And there was like uh, other people up here on the lookout. And one of the other people up on the lookout, looking down through the howling wind, spotted some sharks in the water. And so, and they're actually like circling The surfers. And so this person starts like frantically shouting at the surfers, waving their arms, but the wind kind of just swallows up their shouts and takes it away, and they can't get the attention, and no one's looking up. And so he notices there's this tiny path kind of down this hill, and so he takes off running down this path, and he gets down to the beach, and he waves the surfers in, um, and then they finally they come out of the water, and potentially he saves these guys' life. And I'm like, wow, that's a total stranger. going go all that effort, but you can kind of understand it. And that's when I realized there's nothing unloving about a warning. You can't really see that, but there's a person there and there's a shark behind him. Um, and, and in that situation, there's nothing unloving about a warning because if the warning is true, it's not scare tactics. It's loving. Now, the book of Hebrews is full of warnings about the danger, the terrible danger, of drifting away from Jesus. And all I'm going to do today, I'm not doing scare tactics, all I'm doing is reading you the passage. And you're listening to what God has to say, and it's scary stuff. And I'm terrified to preach this. I'm terrified for some of you guys. Because I know lots of you guys say that you're Christians. But I just don't see it in your lives. And I, I wonder whether you know you're not a Christian, but you say, you are, or I wonder whether you don't even know it, which is more terrifying still. And most terrifying of all, I know a lot of you guys don't even care. This matters so much. And so this morning, here... God's voice warn you in the Bible. I'm going to pray because this matters so much. Father God, I, I just feel so, so small and so afraid for these precious guys that you've brought along here. Lord, let none of them drift away from you and receive what you're warning us about this morning. God, give us ears to listen and to understand and give us soft hearts to believe and to change. In Jesus' name, amen. This week we have heard how amazing Jesus is. He is the the creator, the owner, the ruler, the purifier. Um, He's the one who's better than angels, better than anything else. He is the one who sympathizes. He's the one who saves. He's the only one who can take away our sins. And the question we're looking at this morning is, what happens if you keep on sinning? What happens if you keep on sinning? So, have a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. So, you know, I'm not making it up. Look at it in the Bibles. If we deliberate, look at your Bibles, guys. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received a knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire. That will consume the enemies of God. If you keep on sinning, expect judgment and fire. That's the first point. You know I'm not making up. I'm just reading what this says. It says that if you deliberately keep on sinning after you've received a knowledge of the truth, which is what you've received this week, no sacrifice for sins is left, only 100% certain. This is what it's saying. God doesn't lie. A fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire. Judgment is not like when you're in the playground you're like, my friend, I feel so judged right now. No, judgment is when God, the judge, bangs his gavel down on the table and says, you are guilty and you deserve the punishment. And what is the punishment? Well, it says right here, raging fire. What's that talking about? It's talking about hell. And it's, it's eternal, everlasting punishment, so bad that the picture the Bible uses to describe it is fire. Do you see why I'm afraid for you guys? If you deliberately keep on sinning, you can be 100 percent certain that this is what you should expect when you die. And the passage gives us three reasons you might go, "That's really extreme. That's really harsh." Well, the passage gives three reasons why. Reason number one, because when you sin, you trample on the Son of God and you treat his blood as worthless. Have a look in verse 29. He's talking about why sinning against Jesus is worse than sinning against the law that Moses brought. Verse 29. How much more severely do you think a man or a woman deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot who has treated as an unholy thing or a common thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace? Here's what that's saying: when you sin, it's like you're trampling on Jesus and treating His blood as worthless. See, we we like to think about sin as bad stuff we do to other people. You know, like I told a lie to Zach, or I stole some money off Erica. And I mean, that's bad, kind of. But I mean, I didn't steal much money and the lie wasn't that bad. So it's kind of bad, but not very bad. The main person you sin against when you sin is God. Because who said don't lie? Who said don't steal? God said don't lie. God said don't steal. And so when we sin, we're actually wronging God. And since Jesus is God, we're wronging Jesus. Now imagine I have an amazing girlfriend, I and mean, some of you guys met her yesterday, you know I don't need to imagine. I have this amazing girlfriend, and uh, imagine I've organized for her to come over to my house, we're going to hang out, and she's really looking forward to it for some reason. Um, and, and when she turns up at my house, I say to her, honey, sweetie pie, baby, I really, really care about you. I really, really like you. But would you mind going home? Because I want to play Skyrim online with my friends. Do you know what Skyrim is? Computer game. How do you reckon she's going to feel? Can you see it? Skyrim, yeah. How do you reckon she'd feel at that point? Bad. She'd feel really hurt. Because I'm saying that I care about her. But my action show, I actually care about something a little bit more. My actions show, I actually care more about a computer game. And so that dishonors her and it hurts her. But actually, any time we sin, we're saying we care more about that thing than Jesus. See, so think about a lie for a second. When you tell a lie, what are you saying? You're saying that that person's opinion, who I'm trying to impress, or me getting out of trouble, or whatever it is, that matters more to me than Jesus and what he wants. It's idolatry. It's what we've been talking about all at night. Anytime you sin, you're saying, that thing matters more to me than Jesus, the Son of God. Now, I don't know if you've seen The Passion of the Christ. There's a picture going to come up if you can see it. Um, it's this scene in The Passion of the Christ where Jesus has been whipped and you almost, you almost throw up when you watch it. And he's covered in blood. And there's crowns of thorns. Now, can we get that picture up, Nathan? Thanks. Uh, there's crowns of thorns pressed into his forehead. Yeah, and you see him there carrying his cross. And there's this scene where he kind of collapses to the ground. And people just walk past him. And when you sin, it's actually kind of like where you're going is so important that you just trample right over him on your way past It's trampling on the Son of God. It's saying, you don't matter to me when you sin. But it's actually more than that as well. It's treating his blood as worthless. See, Jesus bled to pay for your sin. But then you go and sin again, which says, you know, that's the same thing. He, he put out his blood, so to forgive me for that. And now I'm going to do it again. It says, it didn't matter to me, the sacrifice that you made. I'm just going to do it again. And you have to sacrifice, like not sacrifice again, but you know what I mean? I'll give you a picture of what this is like. It might help you understand it. You have this sweet idea of running down train tracks and trying to beat a train. Um, And your game is to see how far you can run before the train gets to you and you jump out of the way. Okay? So you take off down the train tracks and you're running. The train's getting closer and you're running. and The train's getting closer and then you trip. And you fall and your foot gets kind of caught under the tracks and the train's coming. And just as the train's about to hit you, your dad, who's seen you and has been sprinting along to catch you, kind of grabs you, throws you out of the way, and then the train hits him. Now imagine if the next day you're like, I've got this sweet idea, this sweet game I can play. And so you go out to the train tracks and you play the exact same game again. What's that saying about the sacrifice your dad made for you? It's worthless. doesn't matter to me. Great, now I can do the same thing again. You might as well have not bothered. That's what you do when you sin. You trample on the Son of God, and you treat his blood as worthless. He might as well not bother. Do you see why sin is serious? When you're tempted to sin, think about those things. Now, reason number two that, that there's, this is what we wait for uh, when we die, if we keep on sinning, judgment and fire. Because B, if you're taking notes, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Verse 31, it says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The only reason I changed that is because we think the word dreadful means pretty bad, but not that bad. But if you actually think about what the word dreadful means, dread... It's like crazy fear. It's like the tsunami's coming. You can see it on the horizon. That's dread. Dreadful, fearful. Now, how do you, fee- how do you kind of picture God? Do you think of God is like old made up in the sky looking out for you like your grandpa? Listen to what the Bible says about God. Verse 30. For we know him, that's God, who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. Or we'll flip over to Hebrews 12:29. Says this, for our God is a consuming fire. This is not a God we can mess around with. God is a God who hates sin. And who won't let it go unpunished. And you're sitting there thinking, wait, wait, wait. I thought God was a God of love. Yes. It's because God's a God of love. See, have you ever seen parents in public? I catch trains a lot. And you always see them on trains for some reason. Um, and they, they're those parents that just don't care what their kids do. you seen them? Sure, you can borrow my motorbike and pile seven of your friends on it. And you see that and you think, wow, that dad really loves his son. Is that what you think? No. Because if that dad loved his son, he would care about what his son did. God loves us, and therefore, he cares about what we do. Or imagine going up to a teacher at school and saying, "Um, excuse me, um, Billy set my school bag on fire. And and the teacher just says, "Eh, that's okay, dear. Hopefully he won't do it again. And you're just like, what? And you leave, what do you leave thinking? Teacher doesn't care about me. Because if he cared, he would do something about this wrong that I've suffered. See, if God didn't punish sin, it would show that he actually didn't care about the people that get hurt by it. See, God cares about the people that we hurt when we sin, and he's going to do something about it. He's not going to let sin go unpunished. But you say, hang on, hang on. I thought God was good. How can he punish? Well, yeah, he is good. And it's because he's good. See, if God says, you've done a bit of evil, but that's okay. What that says is, I'm God and I'm okay with evil. But anyone who's okay with evil is evil. But God is good. And therefore, he's not okay with evil. He's going to punish it. I heard a preacher actually say something. He spent his whole life in Africa, surrounded by billions of people in poverty, in slavery, and in war. And he said this, How dare you have a problem with God's judgment when billions of people around the world are crying out for it? God, look at my poverty. Look at my slavery. Look at this war. Aren't you going to do something? And we in our comfortable Western lives have a problem with a God who would do something. No, God's good and he loves and therefore he's not going to let sin go unpunished. There's no contradiction between God being loving and God being angry. He's both at the same time because he's, he's angry because he's loving. And actually, his love is so much more amazing when you think about it against the fact that he should be and is angry. But what all that means is, if you've sinned, which you have, and you fall into his hands, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. One day you will die. I'm speaking to 148 teenagers and a bunch of leaders, and I know that there will be 148 funerals, plus one for every leader. I'm speaking to you with 100% certainty knowing that you are going to die and you are going to face this God. Now some of you actually have nothing to fear. Jesus has taken your punishment. He's washed away your sins. And when you die, Jesus will kind of say, He's with me and God will welcome you home. You have nothing to fear. But are you sure that's you? Because that's not you if you reject Jesus. See, if you reject Jesus, no other sacrifice for sins is left. Have a look at verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received a knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Now, we saw yesterday that there's a problem between you and God it's sin. And so it's actually pretty obvious. If you miss out on Jesus' sacrifice, what other sacrifice is there? You face God's anger at your sin unprotected. And so what can you expect? It's 100% certain. If you deliberately keep on sinning, expect judgment... And fire. Do you feel that? Now who's this talking to? You need to listen to this bit really carefully. Look at the phrase, deliberately keeps on sinning. This is talking about someone, this is you if you're not living for Jesus. You're still living for yourself. For sin. And here's why. And here's why so many of you think you're Christians, but you're not. Because you go to a Christian school, you have a Christian family, or you ask Jesus into your heart, and all of that could be true, but you could still potentially not be a Christian. Because becoming a Christian means making Jesus your king. It's not just asking Jesus into your heart and putting him over there and then getting on with your life. If you, if you ask Jesus into your heart right, it means asking him into your heart as king. You trust in him as your saviour. And then you turn to follow him as the king of your life. Which means that he's the centre. He's the one that you base every decision off. Will I buy that? Well, what would Jesus think? Will I stay up all night and party tonight? Well, what would Jesus think? Will I... Is that you? Are you someone who is genuinely trying to live with Jesus as the ruler of your life? Or are you someone who, if you were actually honest with yourself, you would say, I'd have to just say no. You just deliberately keep on sinning. Now, you need to listen to this bit really carefully. It doesn't mean that if you sin at all, you're not a Christian. Have a look at James chapter 3, verse 2. What we're going to see here is that every single person, including Christians, sins. Christians sin every single day of their life. James chapter 3 verse 2 says this. We're just going to read the first half of it. We all stumble in many ways. We all stumble. We all sin in many ways. And that's talking to Christians because it says in the verse before that, my brothers, my Christian brothers. So if you sin at all, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. That's not what this verse is talking about. You need to get that really clear. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Here's the question. How do you tell the difference between a Christian who sins occasionally and someone who's not a Christian? Here's the question. What are you trying to do? in your life so there's two types of people hopefully they'll come up on the screen the two types of people are person one your heart's desire can you read that yeah your heart's desire is you want to live for jesus you're genuinely trying but you still sin if that's you be encouraged that's person one but person two is someone who's not actually really trying to live for jesus You want to maybe live for something else, or maybe you haven't thought about it, but you're not trying to live for Jesus. And so you keep sinning. If that's you, that's what this passage is talking about. You need to be afraid. Because the passage says that if you deliberately do that, no sacrifice for sins is left expect judgment and fire so what you need to do if you're realizing this is me what you need to do is you need to turn i'm not living for jesus i'm going to start living for jesus that's what happened to me six years ago i realized i knew jesus was the king and the savior but he wasn't my king and my savior and at some point over fat in 2006 God worked in me so that I was like, yeah, actually, I do want Jesus to be my king. Trust Jesus as your savior. He's amazing. He's better than anything. He'll, he'll forgive you. He'll wash you clean. And here's what will happen. For the rest of your life, every single day, you'll sin. And you'll go through this process. You'll confess it. God, I sinned. I'm sorry. You'll ask him for forgiveness. Please forgive me. You'll thank him for Jesus who makes it possible for you to be forgiven. And you'll say, God, please help me not to do that again. And you'll do that every day for the rest of your life. Knowing that you can approach God. You can draw near because Jesus has forgiven you. Not afraid but trying to live for him. So which one of those two people are you? And which one do you want to be after fat? Which one do you want to be? You can do that anytime. Point two. These warnings are real and they're serious. So hear them. Hebrews warns you in two ways, okay? I've been talking about the first way. That is, don't let this be you right now. But the second way Hebrews warns us is in the future. Don't let this ever become you. In other words, don't drift away from Jesus in the future. So the book of Hebrews says things like this, and you've probably read some of these in your studies. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, pay more more careful attention so that you don't drift away. Or chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall. If you're a Christian today, you could drift away from Jesus in the future. That's possible. And if you drift away from Jesus, you'll miss out on salvation. And you will Face judgment and fire. This is real. I hope this works. Can you put that photo up on screen? Now that is my first ever fat. Can you see? I don't know if you can see. Um, that was a whole fat. And you can't see it heaps well, but like I am. Um, oh Well, there's Jason Minimi right dead smack bang in the middle. Um, I'm a few to that side of him. I don't know, it's a shame that it's so bright in here. Anyway, that's my first ever fat. And I love this photo. Because so many people in this photo were baby Christians when it was taken. And now, I'll tell you, some of them, there's a guy down here in this corner. He's now leading Salt Church in Wollongong. Lots of these guys are your leaders. And lots of them are just parents and, and great godly guys and girls. But... I find this an incredibly sad photo because when I look at it, I can see about 15 or maybe more because there's some people I don't recognize, but I know for a fact there are about 15 people in that photo, about a third of it, who today don't even call themselves Christians anymore, including some of the leaders. Nine years later, They've drifted away. I can remember driving back from a camp like Fatpa for adults with a friend of mine, and we were cranking Christian music in the car and singing along with it. We we're talking about how good God is. She borrowed some books off me that were about like missionaries, and she was talking about becoming a missionary. And every week after church, a group of us would get together and we'd pray for Christians around the world. And she would always be there praying. And then over a six-month period, gradually she stopped coming to church as often. I started noticing more of her pictures on Facebook were of her at parties. And then after a while, she stopped coming to church altogether. And I haven't seen her in church in a long time. Now she doesn't even call herself a Christian. How does that happen? I remember a dude at FAT last year. And he got excited about Jesus. As far as I could tell, um, he started making changes in his life. This year, I him. I was like, you coming to fat? No, I don't want to. He's drifted away. How does that happen? I could tell you story after story. Stories that literally make me cry. And it happened to them. Will it happen to you? if you ever get to that place where you have deliberately walked away from Jesus or drifted and now you live a life where you just deliberately keep on sinning, you will face the fearful expectation of judgment and fire. If you ever get to that place and somehow you remember this fact, remember this. Come back to Jesus. He'll take you back. He'll forgive you and it'll be good again. But I'll tell you what. None of those people that I've talked to want to come back. Because when you get to that place, you don't want to. And so to be on the safe side, don't let yourself get there. Be wise about the way you live so that you don't let yourself drift away from Jesus. Are you scared by this? I've got a comforting promise for you. A comforting promise. And it's point three, that God promises to finish the work that he started in us. So it's right to take this seriously, but don't freak out. Like John Howard would say, be alert, but not alarmed. See, God promises that if we come to Jesus, he will help us. And he will make sure that we stay with Jesus until the day we die. Have a look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. If you don't want to flick that, I'll read it out. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This is my favorite book of the Bible, by the way. It says this Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who's he? That's God. And what it says is, the moment you become a Christian, God starts a good work in you. And he will carry it on and he promises that he'll finish it. He won't let you drift away. If you're a Christian, you don't have to panic about this. So the two truths we've seen really clearly. If you drift away from Jesus, you will face judgment and fire. But that if you come to Jesus, God promises that he will help you to stay with Jesus and not drift away. Now, if you're thinking, you're like, well, he just contradicted himself. Because I said before, it's possible to fall away. But now just said God promised to hold on to us. And here's how those two fit together. If you don't understand this, that's okay. But if you're a year nine boy and you want to learn some stuff or you think you can do it anyway, do. Can Christians ever fall away? Well, first of all, if they do fall away, it actually shows they were never Christians in the first place. They thought they were, they might have looked like it, but they weren't. You can see that in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, if you want to chase that up later. So can Christians fall away from Jesus? Well, they can. Nothing's stopping them. But they won't. Because God will help them to stay with Jesus. And do you know how? Through these warnings. See, it's like standing on the top of a cliff, okay? And God has put warning signs up around the cliff. Can you run and, run off the cliff? Yes, it's not like there's an invisible barricade. But will you? Well, if you're Christian, you'll see God's warning signs and you won't. And that's how God will hold on to you. So the true truths are if you drift away from jesus you'll face judgment and fire but that if you are a christian a genuine christian don't panic because god will hold on to you so trust god turn to god ask him to finish what he started trust in his promise and and just keep following jesus alert but not alarmed guys take this seriously make sure that you are really a christian make sure That you listen to these warnings. And in the words of Hebrews, I'm going to quote some. Be careful. Pay attention. Make every effort. Some of you guys are so lazy about your Christian lives. Like it doesn't matter to you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, I think it is, says that those who ignore such a great salvation won't escape. And the Greek word there for ignore is don't care. See, if you want to go to hell, you don't have to hate God. You just have to not care about him. Because if you don't care, first of all, that shows that probably you don't get it. Because if you got it, it would transform your whole life. But secondly, if you don't care, you'll drift. You won't look after it. If you don't care about your car, you're driving in trees and stuff. If you want to go to hell, you don't have to hate God. You just have to not care. And what what makes me so afraid for some of you guys is that you call yourselves Christians, but you don't care. And I'll tell you how I know you don't care. You guys have been good on fat, but every Friday night youth group, you're on your phones all the way through the talk, or you're talking to each other. You're not listening in your Bible studies. How can you say you care about God, but not listen to his voice? Don't be apathetic about this. Care about it. Kind of the whole point of Hebrews in one word. Care. Don't muck around with this stuff. I've heard that statistically, by the time that you finish uni or the equivalent in age, statistically, two out of every three of you won't call yourselves Christians anymore. So look at the person on the left. Look at the person on the right. Out of those three people, you, them, and them, one of you will make it through uni as a Christian. Statistically. (laughs) Lily's sitting over here by herself. She's like, oh no, it's me. Yay. I already already finished uni. (laughs) That means the people... No, but guys, that's a scary statistic. But statistics can be wrong. And I would love it if that statistic was wrong. That statistic was wrong for that picture. In that picture, only one third didn't make it. In my year, I reckon even less than that didn't make it. But the statistic wakes us up. So let's make the statistic wrong, guys. Let's make them wrong for ourselves. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly. Which means nothing can blow us out of the way. Hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. So don't drift away. Hold on. Don't let anything throw you off course. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is better. Nothing's worth it. Number two, let's make them wrong for the people sitting on our left and on our right. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see that day approaching. Do you care about the people on your left and right making it to heaven? Because your actions affect where they will spend eternity. Love them. Look after them. Include them so that they feel like they belong here and they want to come to youth. Don't fight about stupid stuff, girls. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of it. You guys fight about the stupidest stuff. It doesn't matter. And it means people get hurt. And I want to come back. It's not worth it. Love each other, please. Don't gossip about each other. Do you know, I literally contacted 100 different kids before fat who hadn't registered. And I was like, how come you're coming? Do you know how many of them? said it's because they didn't feel like they belonged, they had any friends or worse that there was someone here that they didn't that would make them uncomfortable to be. here. Can you imagine if someone on judgment day didn't make it into heaven because you bullied them? I'm angry. I'm sorry, but I can't believe that that would happen, but it will. Can you believe that some people won't won't make it to won't make it into heaven on judgment day because you didn't talk to them? Because you made them feel like they didn't belong we're not as loving a youth group as we think we are we love the people in our cliques we don't notice a new person (sighs) guys let's love people into heaven Let's involve people in what we're doing. Let's talk to people. Let's pray for people. Let's encourage people. And let's bust that statistic and drag everyone who is here along with us into heaven. Please care about this. Care about where you will spend eternity. Care about Jesus. If you deliberately keep on sinning, You face 100% certain expectation of judgment and fire. Don't muck around with this stuff. Turn back to Jesus. Trust in him as your savior. And if you're a Christian, don't ever let go. If anything I've said has worried you, or you want to talk to me, I'd love to chat to you. Your leaders love to chat to you. I'm going to pray for us. Father, you are amazing. You are so worthy of our affection and our attention and our obedience. And we confess that so often we sin and that it it tramples on your son and treats his blood as though it doesn't even matter to us. And we're sorry. We recognize that we deserve your judgment and your fire. We recognize that if we were to fall into your hands, we would get the punishment we deserved. We thank you that you provided a sacrifice. And God, we ask, please, that in Jesus' name you'll forgive us by that sacrifice. We recognize that so often we don't live for you as king. And God, we want to make a change. We want to make you our king from now on. We want to make every decision based on what you would say. We want to listen to you in your word. We want to obey you from now on. Please help us to do that. Thank you for the promise that you will. Thank you for the promise that you'll complete the work that you started. Lord, we trust in that. We're not alarmed. But God, please help us to take this seriously. Please help us never to drift away. Please help us to love those around us so that they don't drift away. In Jesus' name, amen.